Will you pray with me? Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts together be acceptable in your sight. Through Christ Jesus, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Through Christ Jesus, our rock and our redeemer. This is a day when the church around the world comes together. When we gather around this table, the simplest of meals, which has become food and life for everyone. This is where we cross the threshold from our obedience to the Lord, and we enter into that mysterious realm where love takes over. The passage that was read by uh, pastors this morning in two languages begins with a cry from one of the apostles, and that's an interesting word to occur in the gospel of Luke. Because apostles were not the name given to these men and women until after the coming of the resurrection, after the Pentecost. But a little bit of that language has slipped into Luke's telling of the story of Jesus here. One of them, Simon, says, Lord, increase our faith. Well, what better request could you make of God than to increase my faith? And Jesus responds to him by saying, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could ask this sycamore tree to uproot itself and plant itself in the ocean, and it would obey you. Now, there are two kinds of conditional clauses in the Greek. There are those that, that speak to an issue in terms of it needing to be corrected or need to be made opposite. That is to say, uh, when you are talking to your children and say, if you don't knock it off right now, something else is going to happen to you. But there's another kind that uh, it occurs in the Greek language, another way of saying if, and it really means if you have faith, like a mustard seed, and you do, it's affirming or reassuring or reaffirming what we already have. And what Jesus said to Peter is, if you have faith like a mustard seed, and you do, you could ask this mulberry tree or this sycamore tree to uproot itself and plant itself in the sea, and it would obey you. And so it begs the question, why aren't there trees flying around overhead all over the place? If the church has this kind of faith, why not? And I would su suggest to you that in the full context of this passage, that is, the understanding what has come right before it, that Jesus has been telling his friends that forgiveness is at the highest part of the church's agenda. What he said was, occasions for stumbling are bound to come, and woe to, whom by those, uh, the, to the one by whom it comes. Then he said, be on your guard, and if a disciple sins, you must rebuke the offender, and if there is repentance, you must forgive. Now, he couldn't have said it any stronger. If there is sin, rebuke the offender, and if he repents, you must forgive. 
And if the same person sins against you seven times a day and turns back to you seven times and says, I repent, then smash him while you have the upper hand. No. It says, you must, you must forgive. And that's when Peter jumped out of his chair and said, Lord, increase our faith. Right then, at that moment, on the issue of forgiveness is when the church cried out, we don't have enough faith for this. And Jesus' answer is, yes, you do. You haven't even begun to tap the potential of the faith that God has given you. Because Jesus is in the process of making his friends just like himself. And he will put on display in just a few days from when he spoke these words, in a magnificent display, he will put on display the love of God that is so broad and so wide that it can go all the way to the cross. And while the men at the foot of the cross stand mocking and jeering at him and offering him sour wine instead of water, and after they have beaten him senseless, he turns to his Father in heaven and says, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. And the Holy Spirit will continue its relentless work in us until we are just like that, friends. Until we understand that there is nothing in this world, nothing in this world worth defending that would cost the life of another person. We are in this world, but we are made of the substance of God. And anyone, anywhere who reduces religion down to a set of simple rules. I'm so tired of the people who say, you know, you just got to read the instruction manual. Just read the instruction manual. Instruction to what? These are clues, yes. But we have to live out a faith that is alive and well and not just a matter of fulfilling the rules. And to bring the point home, Jesus said, now we have trouble in our country understanding the slave-master relationship because our country has a lot of repenting to do around that subject. But in the time of Jesus, there were slave relationships in which real relationships would form. And over time, there would be attachments, even fondness and love. But Jesus said, if you have a slave and they come in from the field, they've been working, they're not a house slave yet, they're they're a field slave, and then they come in, but you only have one slave. Then the field slave becomes a house slave. And you don't say to that slave, hey, you've had a hard day. Come in and sit down. I'll make dinner for you. They're your slave. The point of the slave is to fulfill their duties. So no rational person, Jesus said, in the time of Jesus, would have had their slave come in and just sit down to a meal. But in, in fact, the slave takes care of the household first and then the slave eats afterwards. If we can get past the word slave there, the point that Jesus is making is when there is a duty to be done and you've done your duty, you don't stand up at the end of it and say, hey, I'm the greatest person in the world. I've done my duty. When your children are doing chores around the house, they don't stand up on a chair and sing a doxology after they finish their chores. That's their chores. Mom, Dad, you should pay me $100 because I did all the chores around the house. Mom and Dad say, great. 
I will give you the $100, now give it back to me because that's what dinner costs tonight. You're a part of this house. You do the things that you're asked to do. And what I'm really saying in these brief moments is if for you Christian faith has become a matter of just crossing off the rules, how many times do I have to forgive? How many times must I do this? If it's a matter of just meeting the rules time and time and time again, then at the end of all of that, you still only get to say, I'm only a worthless slave. But you are not worthless slaves. You are sons and daughters of God. You are heirs to the promises of God. You're his children. You're his friends. You have the Holy Spirit in you. Christians are those in the world who act out of faith. We don't do the things we do in the world in order for God to love us. We do the things we do in this world because we know God already loves us. And when that love takes root in us, it overflows in us. And it spills out. And when the Holy Spirit is the source of that love in our lives, then we have no choice but to follow the prompting of the Holy Spirit. This is the difference that love makes. I want to call us each today as we come to this table to note that it is, is not fine Kobe beef and, and the most expensive bottle of wine sitting on this table, but that this is a meal that anyone could have afforded to set today. This is Jesus' way of saying the least among us have the riches of the kingdom at their disposal. Bread and cup and the fellowship of our friends and the love of Christ through the Holy Spirit. What more do we need to have a feast this day? And as we eat this bread and as we drink this cup, the roots of our faith stretch across the world, even to India, where today, According to Simon, who spoke to me a few days ago in my office, today there are Christians who are suffering persecution in India. People that you may know who are being persecuted for being Christians. Now, we could say, well, I'm in America, so that doesn't matter to me. And you might ask me, now, why are you wearing Scottish Highland gear today? And I do this on World Communion Sunday to remind myself that though I was born in America, my ancestry comes from another land. It comes from the United Kingdom, from Scotland, specifically from the border between Scotland and England. These colors are the Johnston colors. And I wear them not to make myself different from all of you, but to remind myself that here in America, there are almost no natives around. We are the country that God has put, us, put on the earth to remind us that we are all alike in that we have need of Christ and of his love. We are all alike. So we eat this bread and we drink this cup and the roots of our faith stretch across the world and we hold hands. And the suffering of the people in India is our suffering. The suffering of those who go in for surgery or for treatment for disease is our suffering. And the joy and the glory of those who are exceedingly well is our joy. We are connected in Christ. This is not our doing, lest we should boast. For after all, 
We are only worthless slaves if our religion is rules. But this is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Amen? Amen. Amen.